The opinions expressed on this podcast are not necessarily those of the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District or its employees. For more information about the Sewer District and its projects and programs, visit neorsd.org. The Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District presents Clean Water Works, a podcast that explores water, sewer, and stormwater issues that affect you and your community. Learn about the people, projects, and programs that are protecting your health and the environment here in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. Creaky doors. <laughs> Spider-webs. Uh, Wait. And the flutter of bat wings. And so Sarah is our bat lady, among other things. You do a lot of other things, too, but um, bats are, are one of the things that Sarah does for our permitting. Right. So what is the connection between you and the sewer district and bats? Why don't you talk a little bit about your role here at the district to begin with? Okay. I'm an environmental specialist. And I work mostly with stormwater projects, and I evaluate different regulatory requirements and see what kind of permits we need, Um, but endangered and threatened species are definitely part of that. So when you have a federal permit, like a nationwide permit, which we often get for our projects, um, they look at, will this project impact any habitat or any endangered or threatened species? So big construction projects that we do, we have to make sure that we're not encroaching on any existing uh, correct habitats. Yes. And most of our real big ones, like the tunnels and stuff, are in very urban areas. And so there's little disturbance to natural areas. But our stormwater projects, which reach all over our stormwater area, um, there's more of a chance to run into a wetland or trees or something like that than the really urban projects. And the tunnels are, are mostly underground. As they usually are. <laughs> That's how you build You're a saying tunnel. the tunnels are <laughs> underground? Uh, uh, it's a Monday, folks. But so. one of our one of our tunnel projects, I mean, I first heard about this uh, several years ago. One of our east side tunnel projects uh, required careful attention paid to salamander populations. This is true. So when you build a shot, uh, when you build a tunnel, you need to access the tunnel in some way. So you need a shaft. One of our sites, there are two shafts located there, and these are amongst the first of our big tunnel projects. Um, and they found the perfect area, very close to Easterly, and that area contained a lot of wetland area and salamanders. They're very unique salamanders, abystema salamanders are what we call them. And although they are not endangered, they're not threatened, Ohio EPA wanted us to protect them the best they could on the site. And we've been studying these salamanders on site um, with uh, Case Western Reserve University staff. Um, This is our 10th year of monitoring since the construction began. So before construction started, they had a great salamander roundup and collected as many from the construction site as possible so they wouldn't be impacted. And then we've been studying the undisturbed portions of the area since 
construction started. And so now that the work is done, they've restored a big portion of the area that was impacted back to wetland. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The salamanders are moving back in. Oh. Yeah. Can you describe what these salamanders look like for us? They're kind of about as big as the palm of your hand. They're kind of blackish in color. They have some yellow spots on them. Adorable. Which is really helpful for identification. So they'll set traps out. And then in the morning, they come back and they collect the salamanders. Turns out that their spots on their belly are unique to them. Like a fingerprint. Oh, my God. Yes. So um, what they do is they take their little salamander, they put it on a piece of glass with some backlighting, and they take a picture of its belly. And then they have computer software so that cute. go through these salamanders. Oh my goodness. And they can identify salamanders by their belly spots. So they can make sure that they're only counting the salamander once. The salamander communities are being uprooted from their <laughs> from their homes. And where are you where are you taking them? So we just moved them over to the undisturbed just, yeah, portion. They were just over the highway. Oh, so not right? too it's far. on the other side of the highway, I think, right? It was thought originally that we would have to move eggs over to the north side of the highway to establish these salamander populations. Um, And the reason it has to be eggs is because salamanders want to go back to the pond they were born in. So if we were to move the adult salamanders, they would get squished on the highway trying to come back to the south side. So we were going to move some... um, some eggs over there. Um, but it, we found out that there's already an established population of these same salamanders on the north side, so we didn't end up doing that. We didn't want to move anything over if we didn't have to to introduce disease or yeah, other right. genetic mutations or something like that. So we've actually monitored the salamanders in both areas for the past 10 years. So we had to put up, like, silt fencing so that they would not keep trying to go into the uh, construction site so but i guess because they didn't have their hard hats yeah they did not yeah too little (laughs) so i guess salamanders are like lemmings right so they would hit the silt fence and they would just turn and walk Mm -hmm. until they ran into something and so then they had to build these traps that would then the salamanders fell into them but then they had to fashion some lids so that the raccoons didn't eat the salamanders so it was a whole thing one thing leads to another for a while but you know what they found other in the undisturbed areas, there's a lot of um, wetland that they can still access, and they just flourish there in those undisturbed areas. And we have not um, seen any decrease in their populations due to our construction. So now that we have restored that wetland, you know, all of their barriers have been lifted. They can go wherever they want on the site, and they have been um, populating the new wetlands and laying eggs and that's so fun. Doing all kinds of good well, salamander good. things. Um, so bats. Then. So bats. What's the story with yeah, bats? Bats. bats? So it did. I have a I have a question yes. first. Yes. It's very yes. relevant. Um, Sarah, what is your favorite Halloween movie? Oh, um, let's go with uh, it's the great. What is that? Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Oh, that's a cute one. <laughs> very family friendly, Mike. Halloween, of course. Oh, is there? Are there multiple? Of yeah, there's like plural, 20, 20 of them, I feel like. Oh. Did you see the new one? No. Does one come out every year? Remember, there were a lot of the Friday the 13th movies. Like, yeah. Same thing. It's a franchise. Okay. I don't like scary yeah. things at and all. And you wouldn't like that. Okay, so anyway, so bats. Yeah. I was never a bat for Halloween, but I was a flying squirrel once for Halloween. I love that. It was the best 
the tail was really tricky because I had to, I was like trying to keep the tail up so you could see that I had a tail so that people weren't mm-hmm. like, are you a bat? I was like, no, I was a flying squirrel. So, hey, are you a bat? Hey, are you a bat? <laughs> Do I look like a bat? <laughs> um, but anyway, but I just really like bats and they're really cute and um, you get pictures of them sometimes. I do. And I routinely share them with Donna. They look pretty upset some of the time, but <laughs> other times you just want to hang out with them. So The pictures are generally after they've been captured, so they're not too happy to have been handled. That's true. So what, uh, why, why are we capturing bats? Unfortunately, bat populations are very much on the decline. Um due to loss of habitat and white-nose syndrome, which is a fungus that affects their populations. And um, so bats are dying. Sorry, guys. That's a very scary Halloween fact. Um, So we have to protect the ones that we have left. And they live in trees. Um, They live other places, too. Caves. We all know that, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Some people's attics. They um, live and... um, have maternal roosts in trees, often dead or dying trees, trees with shaggy bark, um, trees with holes, crevices, very tiny. They can fit into very tiny spaces and a lot of them. So if you go to cut down a tree, a bat can fly away, right? But if it's roosting there and it has its little baby bats there, that's when you, you know, have a problem. Unfortunately, during some of our projects, we have to cut down trees. So we have to um, be very careful about what time of year we cut down these trees so as to not impact bat habitat. So I spend half of my time here at the district saying, you can't cut down those trees. And I spend (laughs) the other half of the time saying, cut those trees down before April 1st. It's tick-tock. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, you have to do it within certain windows of time to uh, not impact their... Yes, yeah, so they like to be out when the bugs are out, generally right. speaking, because that's what they eat. So they're here, you know, in, through the spring, summer, and into fall. So um, there are restrictions from tree cutting when you're dealing with federal money or federal permits um, and other reasons as well. But um, so April 1st till through the end of September, you generally want to avoid tree cutting during that time if you can. Um, so a lot of our contracts will say, you shall not cut trees during this time. That's obviously the great construction season, right? Mm-hmm. So through the summer and all this. So what you could do is you could do a survey of bats um, to see if they're there. So we're in particular, we're looking for the northern long-eared bat, which is threatened, but is um, going through the channels to be moved up to endangered, and the Indiana bat. So even if they catch other bats during their survey it's um at this point it's okay um but if they were to collect one of those endangered or threatened species they would have to tag them and then they would um put a little gps on them so they can track them to find out where they're actually living to see if it's inside or outside of the construction area so um for some of our projects that you know, we anticipate wanting to clear trees in the summer or we don't want as many restrictions for whatever reason, um, we might do a survey. So it's called a mist net survey. It's a very fine um, netting that they use. And it's usually set up um, like in a riparian corridor type area by stream, um, trees, and they have to go out. Um, We use a consultant that's certified to do this and have all the correct permits and and that sort of thing and they go out overnight 
I think it's like five or six hours long, and the conditions have to be right. It can't be raining. It has mm-hmm. to be a certain temperature. Winds have to be the right, um, not too strong. Um, and then they survey for bats. When you say survey, then are they collecting the bats in the netting? Yes. Is that right? So the bats get stuck in the net. They take them out. They're fully PPE, the human beings, not the bats. We don't have any bat PPE. We've established this. We were going to get the, um, the acronym, Bell. For our uh, podcast, whenever oh, oh no, here at the district, we're so comfortable using acronyms that we forget that people listening to this might not know what I'm sorry. these things. No, it's all right. It's yeah. fine. Yep. So we're gonna have a little bell whenever one's whenever anyone says a Bring. a mysterious acronym that we have to define. So that's it. Okay, What's personal protective equipment. So as like salamanders, bats also don't. <laughs> so, but the people do because guess what? Um, we could give bats diseases. Like COVID, we can come full circle here. Mm-hmm. So, um, head to toe, Tyvek for these individuals out doing the surveys. They wear gloves. Um, when the bat is captured, they put him in a brown paper bag. Um, they identify what kind of bat, um, what sex is the bat, the age of the bat. Um, if it's a female bat, is it a nursing bat? Because um, they're mammals, you guys. So, they make milk. And they release them. We don't. We don't keep the bats. We don't harm the bats. They go um, back to nature. But um, if they are endangered or threatened, then we'll put a little tracker on them and see where they came from. And now, uh, because the one bat is moving from threatened to endangered, yes. right? Mm-hmm. There's like even another layer of protection. Correct. If they have caught this northern long-eared bat in the past, they may uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife or Ohio Department of Natural Resources, ODNR, um, they may say, because we've caught this bat within a certain distance from here before, we're not, we're not going to let you clear in the summer. You still have to do your seasonal clearing. Because in the winter, they either, they either migrate somewhere or they find a better place to stay than a tree because it'll get too cold there. So it's okay to clear the trees in the winter because they're not, they're not using them like they do in the summer. We have never caught one of these endangered or threatened species. There's not a lot of them. That's right? why they're that endangered or threatened. So mm-hmm. we've never caught any of them during our surveys. Salamanders, bats, mm-hmm. any other critters yeah. that, uh, that you work with? A lot of the other ones are shorebirds. So they right. have very specific um, – I don't know if you guys saw – there were piping plovers yeah. in, I think, the Toledo area okay. um, last year. And, I mean, there were blogs and there were people watching them and all of this stuff um, because of, you know, their status. That's a type of bird. Yes. Piping. Piping plover. And the other one is a Rufa red knot. <laughs> That's a great name, too. I know. So they require very specific shore – shoreline habitat with, you know, certain amount of sand or rocks or whatever it is. Um, but most of our projects, most of them do not occur along the shore of Lake mm-hmm. Erie. So that's really not a problem. Um, monarchs were recently, I think, nominated to be uh, put on the endangered species list. So I think a lot of people know milkweed is our favorite. What that means for us, I'm not sure. If we run into milkweed, can we cut it down? Can we disturb it? I don't know yet. Well, and I did receive an email from a councilman in Parma, actually, and then from the mayor asking us if if we planted milkweed on our sites and Mm -hmm. is part of our um, 
riparian area mix. Mm-hmm. So the when we replant near a stream, it is uh, in the seed mix milkweed. Um, and so uh, I told him that it shouldn't be an issue to, you know, put more milkweed into our plant mixes just, you know, mm-hmm. in order to help out with our little okay. butterfly friends. I wondered where you're going with that. I didn't know if they wanted more well milkweed or don't plant it because oh. it could be a problem later when we want to cut it. So no, I, no, you no. Know. Yeah, they yeah. wanted more. Parma was like pro milkweed, so because they want more butterflies. They do. Yes. Yes. Who doesn't? Right. Would you like to make your best impression of a ghost? That was pretty good, huh? <laughs> You got me. I wasn't sure where you're going with that. (laughs) Sarah, thank you so much for joining us for this bonus edition of Clean Water Works. There's so many things that we do that I don't think people know that we do. So this is a little glimpse into that. Yes, I agree.